Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into the topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy and successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president and CEO of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with high net worth families across the country for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to the July investment edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I talk to our chief investment officer, Bob Weiss, about what's going on in the markets and what we think you need to know about the investment universe right now. Welcome back, Bob, to Wealthy Behavior. Thank you, Sammy. How's it going? What are you thinking about the markets these days? I know we've been talking a lot about the Fed, inflation. Markets have rallied quite a bit since October. We avoided likely uh, any debt ceiling nonsense. There is the possibility of a government shutdown maybe later in the in the year. What's on your mind this month as you, as you think about the markets? Yeah, I think where we um I think where we left off the last podcast talking about um the, the soft landing and you know we're we're nearing the end of the Fed raising rates and there it looks like they're probably going to raise rates at the next meeting which is in late July, I think July 25th and 26th. Um a 25 basis point increase is, is probably coming and that might be it maybe one more but we're we're nearing the end of that and seeing if um, we can pull out of this fed rate hiking cycle without the economy hitting a recession which seems to be um you know the, the most predicted recession in history everyone was calling for it for the last 18 months and um still might might come you know that that's what we're watching and then with that kind of comes if they pull it off, you know, start of a new bull market, and we've had a, a nice recovery, and um, could be legs to it. But you and I have some concerns about what you just shared with the Fed possibly raising uh, rates two more times because there's a disconnect, right? The Fed is saying we didn't raise in June; that's a pause. Doesn't mean we're done. In fact, we're specifically saying we're not done. But the stock market, at the very least, seems to be ignoring. The Fed, yeah, the they, the the Fed, um, they've been saying. I, I think Powell would say two rate hikes this year, and the market is pricing in about a seventy percent chance of one rate hike next meeting. And then I think if you go later in the year, it's like a ninety plus percent. Like the the market, they're off by about one hike. I think by year end, the market sees maybe twenty five, like twenty five basis points, and the Fed is saying more like, no, it's going to be two. And then the the Bob, let me just stop you there. Is that a huge disconnect? That's that by itself is not huge. Okay, so it, it's like market says one, Fed says two. Okay, so we're off by twenty five basis points. Where it, the disconnect grows and is more important is in twenty twenty four, where the Fed is we're going to do two and then hold, and the market says no, you're going to cut. Okay. And earlier, you know, re, like when Silicon Valley Bank went under in March, the market was saying you're going to cut this year. And uh, the Fed said, no, we're not. And uh, look, now the market agrees. The market agrees you're not going to cut this year, but it, it moves to next year. Well, Bob, what are the ramifications of the market being disconnected from the Fed? It's basically that if in either direction, but I guess in this specific direction, if they're assuming less hikes and cutting sooner, that the market is more optimistic than they should be based on what the Fed is signaling that they're going to do? Is that the risk to investors? No, it's more the market. When you think about why would the Fed cut rates, it's the market 
is saying no fed it's um what professor jeremy siegel would say a policy error which the, the fed is well known uh, for doing that you raise rates until something breaks they raise rates until a recession comes and they save the day by cutting rates so the market says hey we've seen this playbook before we know how it goes fed raises rates cause a recession inflation plummets then you cut rates to get us out of the mess you, you put us into so that's more what the market is expecting in pricing and this is the fed funds futures markets which ties to the bond market not necessarily the stock market um, even though in theory they should be connected um, but the, the i think the, the bond market fed fund futures market is still pricing in a, a chance of a recession um, and the fed needing to cut rates so what that is telling you is that the real risk is that the market is saying the fed doesn't need to do two more and they may overdo it right got it okay sorry i interrupted you where were you going with the rest of that no i think that's it uh, okay yeah. so are the stock market and the bond market telling us the same thing about future rate hikes and cuts it's a, it's a tough question i wish i i knew the bond market you can tell by pricing so um you can look where yields are and especially things like the fed funds futures like you can literally see what is priced in the stock market you can't really talk to it or um tell by the price of tesla how many rate hikes are priced into it um but what i think we have seen is um a, a disconnect in in prices some um companies there's a pretty big spread uh, between value and growth this year i think there's some um maybe companies that are a little overextended have gotten a little too hot um when where you look at valuations have kind of run away and then um, another good segment of the market that hasn't participated much this year so um it, it's tough to really take blanket statements about what we're, what the market's thinking about rates when you move it to the stock market but i think there is um a little little bit of exuberance in the stock market in some pockets specifically those um that are under the the ai um, umbrella and we talked about nvidia uh before are you thinking of that basket of stocks yeah the, the, the whole it does strike me as um too much this year as far as um market participation from companies that are involved in ai when you think about it ai has been around and in the similar forms that it is today for decades like self-driving cars research started on that in the 80s i remember hearing about you know there will be self-driving cars a long time ago like decades ago um and ibm with watson beating gary kasparov in chess and you know um winning jeopardy and ask jeeves which was maybe the original oh, chat gpt it was terrible <laughs> <laughs> but the technology was there and it's gotten better and you know the alexas and series and like we we've had ai devices i mean even at heritage with our trading system we we use third-party software but it's like a form of ai with a human behind it um but the stock market is has is um really focusing on ai this year and it's like if you're doing ai in 2023 you're you're golden and it, it does strike me as a little um almost like a sonic boom like it just kind of hit and the question is was it underpriced and under recognized for the last two decades and it's catching up or is it overreacting and there 
tech was has been in favor for a good part of the last um, you know decade. Uh, I don't think that that um, these companies got ignored. So I, I lean more towards we're seeing a bit of an overreaction in markets as opposed to an under. Um, so it's just something to I, I just be a little careful there. Um, for any listeners who are tempted to go and uh, stock pick AI focused stocks, I, I'd be careful. Be careful. And would you be taking some gains if you had a concentrated position in those areas? Yes. Yeah. I just looked, by the way, Ask Jeeves is still a functioning website. I don't know if I'm going to ask it anything, uh, but, uh, you know, then you you mentioned Alexa and Siri and all of that stuff is is in that same vein, right? Yeah. Yeah. I lo- Before the podcast, I looked at, to IBM to see what they were up to. And um, it was Deep Blue was the the software that beat Kasparov in 1997, which is pretty cool. I mean, beating Gary Kasparov in chess, and then then it t- turned into Watson won Jeopardy. And I remember seeing a 60 minute special on what um, Watson Health was doing, and it was acting like a radiologist and oncologist. I think at um, Duke Health in North Carolina, and they sold it to a private equity firm in January of 2022. So they they've moved on from Watson Health, which that was interesting. But you know, um, anyways, the, there's been a lot of work in that area. I think is kind of the takeaway. It's not all a 2023 story, and yet the stock market's reacting pretty heavily to it this year. Understood, Bob. You're doing Gen X proud, uh, doing the Greatest Generation proud by your continued skepticism and I'll believe it when I see it mentality on uh, AI driven stocks. What what else is on your mind as you think about the market? You know, a lot of times we start this podcast with an update on how things have gone since the last time we recorded. And the big thing is that the market on June 8th closed 20% up from its October 12th, 2022 low. Right, so market was up twenty percent, more than a little bit more than twenty percent since it bottomed in October of last year, leading some people to declare, "Hey, we're in a new bull market," because that's one of the many definitions of a bull market, which is a twenty percent rally off the bottom. And I wrote a little bit about that on the Boston Advisor uh, post that came out a week ago. Are we in a new bull market? Because as as I started to dig into it, there's a lot of different definitions for what is actually a, a bull market, and the I didn't I wanted to see you know what they were and and which ones resonated and and to me at least, if you ultimately retest a low, so you rally twenty percent, but then you go right back down to where you were last October as an example, it's not necessarily a, a new bull market as much as a a rally within a bear market. That's the way I've been taught that you know market cycles are peak to trough to peak. And I had your colleague who's been on the podcast before, Michael Waldron, our director of portfolio management, run some numbers. And you can rally 20% off a low and ultimately retest those lows. It's happened three times. So it doesn't happen often, but it has happened three times. So with that maybe overly long question directed at you, what are your thoughts about when a new bull market starts and, and whether we're in one? Yeah, it, it's an interesting discussion. Um, you, you may know I'm not a huge fan of um, <laughs> putting names around um, market price movements. The one that, that you know, it, my biggest pet peeve is a correction. And when markets go down 10%, oh, it's correct now, it corrected. I, I just think that's kind of goofy. Um, 
like it's something that's broken that needs to be fixed. But um, st stepping back, looking at market cycles, so there's financial market cycles and bull markets, bear markets, and um, there's also economic cycles, economic cycles, expansion, contraction, contraction, trough, then you expand to a peak and recessions are the contraction part. And um, in the textbooks, typically what you'd see is they they um, about overlap, but the market moves about six months in advance of the economic cycle. So, you know, the, the economy is expanding and contracting over time, over decades, and and um, the, the bull market is running during the expansion. And then it's bear market right before you have the economic contraction. So what's, um, and if you look in history, like you go back to, um, you know, some of the last um, severe bear markets, um, like you take the one in uh, 2020, the COVID crash that came with the recession. So you had the economic contraction and that was all kind of simultaneous along with the, um, the recession while the stock market was going down. But then you had the financial crisis, 07 to 09, where you had a, a contraction with the bear market. Uh, tech bubble, again, contraction bear market. So this time around, um, getting to your question, um, are we out of the woods? Is the bear market behind us? What's a, a, a little puzzling is where's the recession? Right. So that's the part that makes me pause. And, and uh, I think uh, jury's still out on that. I, I would um, you know, find it, it would be a, a little unusual historically to have a bear market and not have a recession. Um, not completely unheard of, but no, unusual. Un exactly, it, it's it definitely has happened, and it's not um, a couple times like it's happened. But I think it's it's something like sixty percent or okay. so of twenty percent declines come with a recession. So um, that that is the the one thing. So it's what's going to happen on that front, and is the market pricing in say a recession twenty twenty four, which uh, it, you know maybe there's fifty fifty odds of one happening or is it more um like what Lizanne Saunders and the folks at Traub have been calling that the rolling recession and it's you know it never really came all at once but there've been bits and pieces like we saw the layoffs in tech we saw eight months of home price declines um now we're seeing stress in commercial real estate like you know here and there but never just a all at once textbook recession so uh, it's you know, to be determined uh, on, on that front. So I was just going to ask you what you thought about that concept of rolling recessions and you're uh, saying it's possible, right? Yeah, it, it, it is very interesting. Um, you know, I, I guess there's, you know, one of, one of the most dangerous terms in finance, this time is different. <laughs> and so this time, and Lizanne knows that, so she would never say, this time is different. It's going to be a rolling recession. I had never heard of that. I don't think anyone had used that phrase before. But like tech kind of did go through it last year and they're out of the woods, uh, maybe. Um, so it, it, it definitely is plausible. So if you're utilizing the definition, which I did in the piece, that a new bull market means you don't ultimately retest the prior bear market low, you're not going to know for a while whether you're actually in a new bull market or not. But in your mind, the biggest concern is we haven't seen the economic slowdown that everybody, which you earlier said, has been talking about in the most, you know, uh, heavily predicted 
recession hasn't materialized and that's still hanging out there and the fed could keep doing what it's doing and that could cause a bigger slowdown than what the market has already priced in in this 20 plus percent rally yeah the the concern would be um on on two fronts it's the, the lagged effect of monetary policy which is coming um and second there's a story that people probably start hearing more about over the course of the year and it's um the the saving household savings from covid stimulus mm. um, if okay. you look at like cash in the bank you know people's savings accounts before covid and then when covid hit um, from a combination of government stimulus and especially early on people spending less money like you aren't going to disney world and you aren't going to restaurants um, consumers had uh, it got close to three trillion dollars in household sa savings um, above uh, pre-COVID levels, and that um, near three trillion number has been um, is being spent down, and it's um, kind of you can draw a line and say it looks like it's going to be depleted by uh, later this year around October. So that you know the government put a lot of money into the economy with all all kinds of programs and. And people were not going out, so they, they built up their rainy day funds, and now they're going on their vacations, building their you know decks and things, and um, that's good for the economy, but um, it's it's not sustainable. So that is kind of looming as a, an issue that that could be coming later this year. So we we talk a lot about this, and then we try to bring it back to the individual investor and what you're doing in portfolios. Is this just things that you're aware of and a little bit of noise because we're building long-term portfolios and you know these short-term issues may or may not cause you to go in one direction or the other, but or are you actually contemplating or have you been making asset allocation changes or investment changes based on what we just talked about? More of the latter, we have made some changes and okay. Rewinding the tape a little bit, um, was it, it was in December of uh, 2022. We, we increased risk, um, so so we we you know stepped on the gas with equity and increased the equity allocation to get pretty aggressive, and um, we did well through that. And then we kind of unwound that a little bit um, within the last um, month or so um, by just getting more back to a neutral stance. And why was that, Bob? Why did you increase and why did you unwind? So the increase um, was a combination of the really the sell-off that we saw. So we saw that that big decline in stocks. So uh, we viewed stocks as attractively valued. Um, and then the unwind is, well, then they rallied. And they, we think, rallied. Um, they've been not quite too far too fast, but enough that it's like, you know, that this is maybe not the time to be too hot on risk. And what made that decision a lot easier was that um, bonds are attractive, bond right. yields are higher. So you know, with, with investing, it's something I always say is um, with every buy, there's a sale, with every sale, there's a buy. And it's like looking at stocks in isolation, that, that's one thing. But when, you know, in core bonds, you're getting close to 6%, you know that that's compelling. So, what stock valuations where they are? We um, got back to neutral from overweight. I was just going to ask you, what should people expect in a high quality 
investment grade bond portfolio in terms of yield right now? Not not short term stuff that you're seeing in money markets or the two year treasury, but in an intermediate term bond portfolio that's got uh, good credit quality and not a lot of risk to it. What yield are you expecting? Yeah, the, the five to six range. Okay. Yeah, we're seeing, um, especially in the securitized market, um, where like commercial real estate mortgages, um, there's more risk there. I, for our listeners, Sammy just grimaced. It's um, <laughs> a <laughs> so commercial real estate, but yields have gone up a lot in that space. So some of that, but then, you know, just overall with um, corporates, treasuries, a, a diversified mix, you, you get like five to 6%. Are you thinking that credit risk is something to take in this environment or are we not being compensated for owning lower quality bonds that yield a little bit more? It's um, more you don't need to. Okay. With When you can get five to six in the high quality space, you don't really, if, if you're looking for double digit type returns, I'd prefer to go in the equity market, um, more keep the bonds high quality. And that's more what our managers have been doing, um, kind of getting good yields on the, the mid to upper end of the, the quality uh, spectrum rather than, you know, going bottom fishing. Okay. And, you know, as we've, or at least I have made a little bit of a circle to some circuit, sorry, to some industry conferences in the second half of this year, probably more so than I've done in a few years for a variety of reasons that will completely bore our listeners to tears. But one of the takeaways that I've had is, yes, you get past in the investment conversations and presentations, you get past the Fed and the Fed bashing or the Fed praising and the inflation conversation. Another theme does seem to be something that we've talked about extensively that I, I want you to hit on again is this plug for international diversification in your stock portfolio. So, you know, as a reminder to listeners, you know, what are your thoughts on international investing and how have international markets done? And why are why maybe am I hearing it everywhere we go from investors that we do respect? It's definitely something interesting. We've had a global approach, so this is nothing you know, new to us, but um, we think the opportunity is quite strong right now. And um, what we're seeing are favorable valuations overseas um, compared to historical averages. While in the US, we're seeing valuations that are um, maybe a little expensive, a little above historical averages. So the spread is pretty wide. Okay, so in the US, I'm looking at PE ratios. Um, the S&P 500 is at about 18 times earnings, which um, the average over the last 20 years for the S&P is about 16 times earnings. So 16 is average, it's at 18. So it's a little high. That's about one standard deviation above average. Um, when you look overseas, um, you see um, a PE of about 15.0 with the average being 16.8. So a little below compared to average, um, whereas the US is a little above. If you go to emerging markets, um, it's at 12.9 times earnings. And the average there uh, over the last 20 years is 14. 
So both emerging and developed international are below their 20 year average while the US is above its average. Um, so I think that it's a pretty big spread that just points to opportunity there. Opportunity there. Got it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Bob. Um, anything else on your mind or things that your team is looking at from an investment standpoint these days? No, I mean, w- one thing that came out this morning that was um, a-, a little surprising, uh, Case-Shiller uh, Real Estate Index. It's a 20-city composite, and there were eight consecutive monthly declines. Um, so we saw pullback in uh, residential real estate. Last month, we saw an increase, a break of that trend. So rather than eight, a ninth row, it ticked up once. And then um, today, um, it was about, a, I think, a 90 basis point monthly increase. So that trend has changed and, you know, close to 1% increase in a month. Um, so looks, we're seeing some early signs that um, the residential real estate market might be back. And for our local listeners, uh, Boston was pretty high in the list as far as performance. I think it was the second hottest market. So um, we might be seeing the, the residential real estate market turn, which, you know, um, playing into is inflation dead, is the Fed done? It's, um, you know, not what they want to be seeing. Yeah, that is uh, that is interesting. I had not seen that number. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Anecdotally, I would say from our friends, colleagues, clients, and family members who are trying to buy houses. They have said that the market has not slowed down around here, but I know that it has in in other pockets of the country for sure. Bob, uh, one last question, I guess, before we go. What are you reading these days? What are you looking forward to digging into over the summer um, just to kind of keep connected with what's going on in the world? Yeah, so two two book recommendations. you know, you, you, you did give me the courtesy of thinking about this one. So for our <laughs> listeners, um, one book called Against the Gods, The Remarkable Story of Risk by Peter Bernstein. And um, it's a favorite of mine. I've read it a couple times. And Nerd Alert, um, this is for people who like math and history. Um, it, it goes back to um, like the ancient Greeks and Romans and talks about um, math and, and basically kind of the, the development of probabilities and statistics and takes you from then all the way through the, the mid to late 90s and the evolution of financial markets and how like without being able to calculate probabilities or maybe when they figured out how to calculate probabilities for really for gambling purposes, that led to the launch of the insurance industry and eventually the broader financial services and um, some of the developments in financial services um, um, like modern portfolio theory and um, you know things that, that we use today so you know for people who uh, you know get into the industry now and just think that everything you know that we know today it's not like it's been around forever some of some of the stuff's only a few decades old um, in the history of the world so gives you an interesting perspective it's a well-written book um, so that's uh, Against the Gods by Peter Bernstein. And then a second one that um, different tune, different audience, call it maybe an easier read, um, Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, so Ray Dalio is founder of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates. He has kind of like an engineering mindset, um, very systems-based. Talks about machines, like his company, it's, it runs like a machine. And principles are kind of his rules for operating this machine. 
I don't know how many of them there are, it might be like 150 principles, but each one, you know, there's like a page or two on it. And um, it pretty wide ranging, um, but it, it's also interesting when you look at it kind of stepping back, um, a lot of the principles relate to human capital. And at first you would think, oh, well, the guy who runs the biggest hedge fund, it's an investment book, of course. But if I were to say who should read this, this is probably more for really anyone in management, um, even someone who's in like HR, because so much of what he does, it's about getting the right people on board. So a lot about recruiting, then you have the right people on board. Um, well, how do you manage them? How do you, you know, constantly supervise and make sure that you're, you're getting the most out of them? And um, just an interesting book, interesting person. Um, he can be controversial with uh, some of his things, like on the extreme end, I think they say that at his company, there's uh, like cameras and microphones in every room. Right. You know? The radical transparency notion. Yeah, exactly. So you have something to say, say, say it to my face. Don't, you know, no gossiping. So he has things like that, that, you know, some people say that, you know, that's, that's too over the top. And, you know, like a lot of books, you know, sometimes there can be, it can be a little too extreme in some areas, but um, you can still get the essence of it. Yep. So, and, and that's a book, like, especially in the summer, if you're busy and you just like pick it up 15 minutes here and there, you can, um, with the way it's written, with all the principles, you can just read a couple of them at a time. It's like a coffee table book. Got it. Awesome. So, Bob is a serious man. No, no crime thrillers. No beach trashy reads. You pick up principles. Pick up against the gods. Those are your book recommendations for the summer. I love it. Um, I've read them both. You've recommended them both to me. Uh, I enjoyed them. And in the interest of time, I will say that I share a book recommendation usually once a week through the Wednesday reading list on the Boston Advisor. And most of them are actually non-business, non-investment. So if you're looking for a different direction, uh, we've got you covered through Bob and myself. Uh, Bob, anything else before we wrap up? I'm good. Sure. All right. Have a great 4th of July uh, weekend. And I appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Amy. How to Build Your Next Million, Heritage Financial's newly released ebook teaches investors about the tools and strategies that can help them save, keep, grow, and protect their assets. This free ebook can be accessed in this episode's show notes and on our website at heritagefinancial.net. Today is a great day to learn how to build your next million. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. We appreciate your feedback and questions. Please email us at wealthybehavior@heritagefinancial.net. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakinis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast or that of the speaker are subject to change and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.